Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to another special recruiting episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at All Kinds Weather, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. My co-host, Dustin Smith, is once again with me. You can follow him on Twitter at IAKOWDustin, and today, for the second show in a row, We've got a lot of recruiting news to talk about. Last show, we talked recruiting. Florida had gone three and one on the trail in the past week. This time around, Florida going four and oh, landing four big commits. And today, we're going to talk about all four of them, as well as provide our way too early mock 2023 recruiting class. But before we get to that, as always, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, a nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of y'all who might be newer listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses those donations to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. We pay for flights, for a rental car, for hotels, game tickets, and gear, and we just make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime. We are looking for someone to send to the swamp in 2022. If you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor, reach out to us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. We are also looking for donations to donate to our cause. Please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation, and click on the donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray. One is it is a veteran-owned business can't really think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. And number two, it's run by a Florida Gator alum. So yes, they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator alum who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And with all that taken care of, Dustin Smith, we started the last pod by me asking you, how are you feeling now about the class? This was after Florida had just landed their first flurry of kids after a bit of a lull in late May and June. So I'll start off this pod by asking it to you again. Um, a couple weeks later, how are you feeling now after the newest batch of commitments for the Gators about this 2023 class and more generally Florida's overall recruiting? Yeah, Neil, we're a little less than uh, two weeks into into the month, and it's already shaping up to be a July to remember. I mean, we're going to recount the the last few commits that they came through on two very significant ones, and we'll get there. Um, but I feel great, man. It's it's definitely been a whirlwind to follow Florida recruiting. Um, I know it's been slightly frustrating for a lot of the fan base. We really had to be patient. It's especially hard seeing what Miami's doing in South Florida. Um, honestly, you know, we haven't really seen um, much from any of the in-state schools in terms of recruiting. And now, now you have Miami, of course, and Florida, of course, vying for 
um, that top spot is the lead recruiting program in the state of Florida. Now, there's obviously been a lot of buzz from Miami, but there's still a lot of months left between now and December, and a lot can change. Um, and you mentioned this a lot. One of those big changes that's going to take place between now and December is games are actually going to be played. Um, we're not expecting Florida to have an amazing season. We, we, we expect them to be passable. We expect them to be good. Um, but just for all intents and purposes, if Florida ends up having a successful season, they go eight and four, nine and three, they put a great product on the field to prove that Billy Napier is the guy for the job. And then Miami's sitting at six and six or seven and five. Um, and they're not looking as good in the ACC as Florida's looking in the SEC. Then there, there could be, there could be a change in paradigm for all these guys that have committed to Miami. So there's a lot, there's a lot to be seen between now and December, but it's sure exciting to talk about, and that's where we land today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I'm not really learning anything new about Napier and his staff that I didn't really know or at least suspect before this current onslaught of commits. Uh, and, and that's definitely not to say that I wasn't frustrated back in early June because I was frustrated. I, I was outright irritated when Jaden Rashada went to Miami over Florida. And even now, like Florida's not batting a perfect 100% on the trail. Um, I mean, I, I did couch this pod as Florida's gone 4-0 this past week because all four targets that Florida was heavily after did commit to Florida. But, I mean, a guy like Peter Woods was someone that a year or so ago I was kind of earmarking as if we get him, this will be a very good class. We didn't get him. I mean, he went to Clemson and there wasn't really any smoke about him coming to Florida. It wasn't even like Florida was one of his top two finalists. Uh, I mean, Francis Maigoa going to Miami also, the Canes just absolutely tearing it up. As you mentioned, of course, I mean, the thing that I say all the time, the season is the ultimate selling point. The football games that actually take place between the white lines are ultimately what's going to deter determine for the most part, who goes to which school. Um, and even yesterday, well, no, I mean, for those listening um, at later dates, it'll be uh, just July 10th. But, I mean, as recently as the day that, you know, we're recording this pod, Raylan Wilson, a linebacker that I would have really liked to have gotten, never really had that much smoke to Florida, chose Georgia, and Florida never had a shot at him for as interested as our staff was in him. So Florida's definitely still not at that upper, upper, upper elite echelon of recruiting. They still haven't landed that elite, can't miss, obvious five-star, jump-off-the-page tape kind of player yet. Uh, keyword yet, they may still. And they landed some very good ones. They landed plenty of guys that I think can be very good, if not great players, or even better than great in the SEC. But they're getting there. I mean, they're building for that. They're absolutely taking strides toward that. And I always thought that Billy Napier and his staff would eventually show proof of that. I was getting a little frustrated in early and mid-June with the lack of signs for this. So I do feel a little bit better now that I am being shown these signs as opposed to hoping that I would be shown these signs. But ultimately, I don't feel too different or really any different at all towards Napier, to be honest, um, and his staff ended a month ago. I just have more data to confirm what I'd previously thought. So, um, I mean, that's, that's the overall scope of this, of this recruiting world right now. Let's zoom in a little bit more 
and talk about the four kids that Florida just got. So first up was TJ Searcy, a consensus four-star defensive lineman out of the state of Georgia. Dustin, I'll let you go first since I've been talking. Uh, what do you make of him and where do you think he projects on the Gators' defensive line? Searcy is a madman. I know you've heard me use that before for recruits, but I'm I'm going to be very specific in how I communicate this for Searcy. I mean, the guy is 6'5", 250, and that, that might not even be what he actually is. He may be closer to 6'6", 260, 265 at this point. This guy is massive. He's a top 150 player in the nation. He plays defensive line. Um, I fully expect him to be uh, a defensive end or potentially a three technique. Wherever he's at, I think he's going to make a difference on the field. I love his – his uh, he's very quick. Um, he's also very good at getting to the quarterback. Now, obviously, the offensive line talent in high school is nowhere close to what it is top to bottom in college. But when you see his tape, he's a man amongst boys. He gets to the quarterback, but what I also like is he's disciplined to remain in his gap. A lot of times when you're an, when you're an elite defensive lineman, you, you have a tendency to disregard the gap and just figure out the path of least resistance to get to the guy with the ball, the quarterback, the running back. Um, Searcy's smart when he he stays in his gap and it pays dividends not only for him but it helps his team so I like Searcy I'm, I'm really glad we got him uh he's he's a blue chip defensive lineman that you have to get we this the the it's it's clear I, I look forward to hearing what you have to say but let me just say this Neil it's clear to me that Billy Napier and company have earmarked defensive line as being the most critical position to get talent. And though, though we have not yet gotten that, like you said, that standout five-star uh, defensive end edge, um, we haven't gotten that yet. We are creating quite the class um, up front of the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, and again, that doesn't mean that Florida won't, you know, get a bunch of guys in this class that, you know, have four-star ratings that, yeah, they look good in high school. They look like they can be good players in Florida that don't, you know, overdevelop, I guess. That's not that's probably not the best word, but um, they, they exceed their expectations based on their high school tape and their scouting reports, and they just turn into – absolute studs at the college level that wind up being picked in the first couple rounds of the NFL draft. So that's all, that's always possible. Um, it's just as, as your friend and, and my friend Bill Sykes likes to say, the chances are elevated when you get five-star guys that you're going to get these, you know, these high NFL draft pick guys. So, I mean, again, a lot to be determined um, in terms of developing the guys, but as far as what Florida got, Potential-wise in Searcy, it's huge. He, he's, he's very versatile, which is the first thing that I really like about him. He's, he's kind of like 
a Swiss army knife on the defensive line that he can line up at three technique. He can line up at five technique. If he wants to, he can line up at one technique if he wants to, because he's strong and he's fast enough to be able to make things happen regardless of where he lines up. Um, it, it's really shown not to make a huge difference where he lines up on his high school tape. Cause he does make plays from a variety of different spots. Um, the footwork is really, really impressive. The natural athleticism looks great. Again, I, I kind of question some of the talent he's going up against, at least compared to what he will be going up against at Florida. I mean, the, the culture shock of going up against like an offensive line of Georgia's, which is littered with five stars versus what he's going up against in, in high school uh, in, in Thomas and Georgia is very, very different. But the potential is there because he's really quick on his feet. The athleticism is tremendous. The hands are very strong. I mean, he's shown the ability to, to bully some offensive linemen in his path. I would like to see the pass rush repertoire get developed a bit. He doesn't really need to use it a lot. I mean, he does sometimes, but I, he'll, he'll need to really fine-tune that in order to become a true SEC caliber defensive lineman at Florida. So I think if he does that, he will become – a guy that can sneak onto some all sec lists um, by his maybe his sophomore year, but probably more likely by his junior year. So a bit of a project with Cersei, but definitely a good take by Florida staff. Definitely someone that by his junior season should be producing on the field for the Florida Gators. So that's one. The second one Florida got is the one I think is actually the lowest rated of the four, but it's the one that probably generated the most buzz. And that is Marcus Stokes, who Florida got to flip from Penn State and commit to Florida. He is from Tim Tebow's alma mater of Nice High School in Jacksonville, committed to Penn State for quite a while. He was mentioned as a possible plan, I guess I want to say plan B, but I mean, Jaden Rashada was plan B. So I guess as a plan C kind of uh, target for Florida after Rashada chose the Canes. But the, I mean, Dustin, the guy does show a lot of potential on that high school tape. All right, Neil. So Marcus Stokes, he's a guy that, you know, I've been quite excited about, especially since he made the, the flip from Penn state, he made the right decision. Florida is clearly the better program. Um, and that's not to say Penn State isn't a great program. I mean, they've recruited in the top 10 for a good part of the last five, 10 years. I mean, James Franklin's on a tear there. So this wasn't, this was a guy that Penn State had pinned as their quarterback. And in Florida, when push come, came to shove, they needed their guy and they got their guy. And that's exciting. So, Marcus Stokes is a guy that has been severely underrated by a lot of the, uh, the recruiting um, firms, or how, however you want to call it. So I just want to give a quick rundown on kind of how, how crazy it is to, um, you know, what, what, what we're looking at. So on three, the on three – uh, scouts consider him to be the 17th ranked quarterback in the nation. 247 Sports considers him to be the 10th ranked quarterback in the nation. ESPN 14th and Rivals 9th. Those are the numbers that I really want to clue on. 
For whatever reason, though, on three, ESPN and Rivals have him as a three-star. And neither of those even have him nationally ranked. But 247 Sports has him as the 175th best player in the nation and the 10th best quarterback in the nation. And based on what we saw from the Elite 11, I would certainly put him in that 10 to 15 range as far as being in that in that range for being the top top 10 top 15 quarterback in the nation and that's a that's a super big deal because you have to be in that range in order to project as being an all SEC quarterback on top of that he really had a breakout junior season before that he didn't do a ton so it's that it's really that junior tape and some of the the camp circuits that's carrying him through now, Neil, something that is super critical for, for us to take a look at is we need to look at his tape because you and I, um, especially me, you know I me, mean, Neil, you have to kind of talk to me about this sometimes, but, but I, get, I get so into what the rank is or what the star is. You got to look at the tape. And Marcus Stokes, he is super accurate, okay? He has... And I know I want to be careful how I say this, but as far as accuracy is concerned, he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks that I've had the chance to study in the last five, 10 years. Now, they're, they're, he doesn't have the strongest arm, which is something that he'll have to develop, but that doesn't mean that he, he can't throw every ball that's being demanded of him. Certainly in, in the specific offense that he plays at Nice High School, which is something I know we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, in that RPO spread offense, he's getting the ball where it needs to go, and he's throwing it with zip. He has a he has a deadly spiral that is phenomenal, especially for a high school quarterback. Um, something I want to focus on, Neil. The big thing that I want to see Marcus Stokes improve on, and if you had the chance to listen to our uh, Twitter spaces that we did um, just a few minutes after uh, we received these these commitments on, I believe, is the seventh of of July. Um, one thing one thing we talked about is he he has a tendency to be so confident in his accuracy that he throws the ball into double coverage, and though he's getting the ball into a spot where the receiver could catch it, that's obviously not an ideal situation for receivers that are clearly not as highly recruited as he's been. So if, if Marcus Stokes is able to prove during his senior year that he could throw the ball, not just to the right spot in terms of where he's throwing it for the receiver, you know, you don't, you want it to be an easy catchable ball for the receiver. You want it to be in a spot where the defense can't catch it, but also throwing to the right spot in the field, making his reads, Get, becoming more cerebral with the game of football. If he's able to prove that and he's able to get his completion percentage from around 59, 60%, which is where it's at now to 65, 66, even 67%. Is he, if he's able to make that jump, Neil, we could be looking at, and again, I want to be careful now I say this, but if he's able to make improvement in that one specific area, we could be looking at another generational talent 
in terms of, and I hate, I hate to use that word, but when I see the tape on Stokes, I, I can't help but use it. Because if he just improves in that one area, we're looking at a guy that would have the accuracy of Kyle Trask. I, I mean, the tape doesn't lie. So um, before, before I, I go cuckoo, Neil, uh, I want you to knock some sense in me and uh, yeah, tell you me a little bit in, about right? what you're back seeing. Yeah. yeah, ran it back uh, in. I mean, he, he's reminiscent of Trask in, in two senses. I would not directly compare the two, but I would say he's reminiscent of Trask in that, and, and I'll, I'll just steal a quote from Dan Mullen on this. He's not a great runner, but he is a willing runner. He will absolutely not be afraid to take off and get some yards with his legs if he absolutely has to. And he does have to because he's in a spread offense, like you mentioned, that utilizes a lot of RPO. So – Definitely would not call that a strength of his, but I would say if he's rolling out on a bootleg and there's no QB spy, he could take off and pick up a quick 12 yards with his feet. Like he will do that. He's not an immobile statue like John Brantley was. So we, we have to establish that he is a pocket passer who can run in an emergency when all hell breaks loose. That's the first thing. The second thing I'll say in relationship to him and Trask is when he makes the right decision, which is not a comparison with him and Trask, because Trask usually would make the right decision. But when Stokes makes the right decision, he can be deadly accurate. He can also, as you mentioned, overestimate his own skills. Think, yeah, because I just hit my last nine throws in a row, I can throw this one into triple coverage right behind a guy's head between someone's arms and I'll just find my receiver for a big game. Like it doesn't work that way. And he's gotten picked off a few times where he kind of got a little cocky and maybe thought a little bit more of his own accuracy than he objectively should have. But the upside is humongous. The upside is through the roof with him. He's going to have to have that sort of, you know, learning moment in college. Like it's not going to be a situation where he steps in, and his first game is absolutely exceptional. He's not going to throw for 425 yards and six touchdowns in his first game. He's going to take some lumps. He's going to have to go through some growing pains because he's shown too many times in high school, according to the scouts, that he doesn't always make great decisions. So that doesn't just go away when you make the leap from high school to college. If anything, it becomes exacerbated, and you show more signs of that maybe less than great decision-making, but he can be deadly accurate. If he adds great decision-making on top of that accuracy and what I would call a very good, possibly borderline great, but not top tier arm strength. If he adds good decision-making on top of that and learns the college playbook and learns to go through his progressions and all that, he could be something really, really special for Florida. He will, of course, need an offensive line to help him with that. Uh, he'll need receivers. I mean, Florida's kind of taking care of that right now. Uh, more on that later. But he'll need an offensive line to give him a clean pocket more than they, they kind of have been doing the last couple of years. Um, but definitely a guy that I would say could be the quarterback of the future. And, in fact – I will say right now at this way too early stage in time, I do predict that he will be the quarterback when Florida takes the field in 2024. So 
will go forward from that knowing that this is a kid with a lot of upside but has a lot of work to do to reach that upside. So that's two. Next up, I mean, and, and this came minutes after he committed, was his fellow Jacksonville guy, Trayvon Webb. And this guy is very, very interesting for a number of reasons. Dustin, you focus on the tape with him. Um, what is What specifically about him has you so excited about landing him? From what I'm looking at, Neil, he's – and we've, we've talked about him as a recruit even before he committed. He's incredibly well-rounded as a running back. His, his first step into the hole is phenomenal. Now, the one thing that he's missing, and, you know, it's like the, it's like the black tile syndrome. You know, you have, you have 100 uh, white tiles and then you have one black tile. It's like, oh, man, what's going on? But obviously you're talking about the elite amongst the elites. Um, the one thing that, that he does not have, and it seems to be a theme with, with a lot of the running backs that Florida's had as of recent, is he does not have that top-end speed. Um, it doesn't mean that he can't take it to the house when he has that opening. What I love about Webb is he's a relentless runner when he gets into the hole. He is not afraid to make contact. He's not afraid to put his arm out there and uh, put his body on the line to um, to get uh, the yardage that he needs. Now, there is a pro and con to that. Uh, of course, he's relentless. Of course, he's that fierce running back that we love. Um, again, you know me. I, I always like to make comparisons. I probably shouldn't. But I do want to make the comparison to Damian Pierce in, in, in just this one way. Um He's not afraid of contact. Uh, and what I love about his game is his low center of gravity. And when, when you watch the tape, you see it. When his low center, because of his low center of gravity um, and how powerful he is in his lower body, um, a, lot of, a lot of running backs would get down or would, get, or would uh, go right to the ground in specific circumstances. He, he continues to get another three, four, five, six, seven. Sometimes he, he, he stays on his feet and breaks that tackle and takes it to the house when other running backs would get down at that point. So I really love him in, in, in that way. Um, and, and really the most important thing that I've seen is the guy's a leader. Okay? He, he's he's the, 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 the main running back for his program, uh, Trinity, in, in Jacksonville, Trinity Christian Academy, which is notorious for producing great football talent. Um, and what he's been able to do with his team, um, it's downright phenomenal. And the film doesn't lie. Nope, the film definitely doesn't lie, Dustin. Um, I mean, I, again, I don't like making comparisons either, but in the sense that he has a low center of gravity and has a lot of power behind him, he does remind me a little bit in that sense of Damian Pierce. He's got some extra elusiveness. He's got some wiggle. Uh, People say that he is a very good blocker and a good pass catcher. He doesn't show a ton of that on his tape in large part because Trinity doesn't really do a ton of that. But from what I see, this is a very, very well-rounded running back that could make an early and if not immediate impact at Florida. But, I mean, you focus on the tape. You talked about that in great detail. It covered that. 
Uh, I'm going to use my time about Webb to talk about him as a person. So as you know, I did his Twitter space the night after he committed, and there was a high school coach on there, Coach Larry Hurlbut, the special teams coach for Uly High School, who was part of that space and talked in pretty good detail about Webb. So Webb goes to Trinity Christian, which is not the same as Uly, but Coach Hurlbut has gotten to know Webb through a lot of camps and a lot of events, and he's gotten friendly enough with him that he's gone to watch a few of his games at Trinity. And basically what he said is Webb is a genuinely awesome dude. I mean, he talks about how any kid can act like an amazing guy for 20 minutes while the camera's on him or while he's doing a Twitter space. Like, I mean, cause I think Webb did a live space with another podcast and, and it was great. Uh, I, I listened to most of it. It was, it was pretty great, but coach Robert comes on and he's like, yeah, that's not an act. That's, that's really who the guy is. I mean, this guy goes on to say, you know, I've seen a lot of kids play that part when the cameras are rolling and the second the cameras shut off, he's an arrogant douche. And that is absolutely not Trayvon Webb. He talks about how during games, Webb is always running around, encouraging his teammates, slapping them on the shoulder pads, picking them up when they just dropped a pass or missed a block. And on the rare occasions where he messes up, He'll go up to his teammates and go, hey, I messed up. That's on me. We got this. We got this. Let's go. Let's go. My bad. My bad. My fault. Hey, I screwed up. My bad. Let's go. Let's go. Let's just move forward. So whether it's in the heat of battle or when the cameras are on or off, he's the same genuine guy 24-7. And this goes to show the evaluation process with Billy Napier on the recruiting trail. This is the proof that he's not going to care how long it takes to properly evaluate or vet a kid. He's going to make sure that he fills his locker room with legitimately good kids, or he's just not going to offer them. Of course, Napier himself is human. It is possible that he will make a mistake. He might miss on that um, at some point in time, but that goes to show how much he cares about the quality of human being that he recruits. And if you don't think that matters, well, uh, I'll I'll just I'll just say two words, and and the two words are Jacob and Copeland, and I'll move on, and I'll just leave it at that. And by the way, bonus points ah. for Webb for going up to Penn State and going to get Marcus Stokes on the flip. Oh yeah, by the way, he's a pretty good football player too. It's not just that you know Napier is wasting a spot on his roster with a, a really good guy, but who's just not SEC caliber. No, he's got the SEC caliber speed. He's got the SEC caliber wiggle. He can juke guys out of their shoes. He's got the SEC caliber vision. Coach Hurlbut talked about that too. Even on plays that don't make it to his highlight film because they only wind up getting two or three yards, he'll make the right decision as to where to go through the line. So he does that consistently. It's not just like something that he does here and there that you can fill six or seven minutes on a highlight tape with. He is consistently good at picking the right holes to go through. Whether or not they turn into big games is irrelevant because more often than not, he will make the right decision, which increases his chances of getting big gains. So that is Webb. Last but not least, we've got Eugene Wilson III, who is the son of two-time Super Bowl winner Eugene Wilson II, for the New England Patriots. Dustin, he's technically classified as an athlete. I think 
I think it's generally assumed he'll be a wide receiver for Florida. So specifically with his wide receiver skills, what impresses you about Wilson? You know, Wilson's a, a guy that when he committed and I'm, I was elated and I'm still elated. The reason for that is he's fast. Okay. He has a jet <laughs> for lack of a better phrase uh, for, for legs. I mean, this guy as a receiver, when the ball is in his hands, he's going to take it to the house. Um, according to the 247 Sports website, he uh, clocked the fastest 40-yard dash out of anyone at loaded Under Armour All-American camp in Miami uh, the spring before his senior year, so this, this past spring. Um, and he's, he's a, a multi-sport athlete, obviously, like we, but like we talked about, He's very elite on both sides of the ball in terms of a high school athlete. Um, not only is he an excellent wide receiver, but he's also an excellent defensive back. And I think that will lend itself uh, to the Gators because he's, he's the kind of guy that wherever you need him, he's going to be there. If it's special teams, he's going to be there. If it's kickoff return, he's going to be there. If it's wide receiver, corner, safety, whatever you need him to do, he's going to be there. Um, my, my, only, the, my only apprehension to, to him, and it's not even something that, that can't be controlled. It's his, it's his size. He's 5'11", 165 pounds. He needs to get bigger. Okay? He has to – hopefully he's able to get an inch or two. Um, most high school guys, as they transition through college, do get a little bit of height. Um, usually, and correct me if I'm wrong, but usually these guys stop growing, but uh, they keep growing until they're like 20, 21, 22. Um, but the one thing I'm especially excited about is if he can take that 165 and he can get that to 190, 200, 205, man, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with um, wherever Florida puts him. Assuming he's going to be a wide receiver, um, I, I think I think we have a great player on our hands now. Before before hand, handing the proverbial uh, recruiting talk baton back to you, um, we've been making comparisons all throughout the pod. A comparison that I saw uh, and and I, I agree with actually um, is comparing him to Brandon Powell. I know we remember the the receiver Brandon Powell who emits an offense that was sort of suckish. For I, I think that's the right the right and appropriate term for the offense that Brandon Powell was a part of. He was a a, a bright spot in a very bleak um, offensive situation. It's quite offensive, but Brandon Powell wasn't. He Brandon Powell came in. I believe he was a running back, um, but he ultimately uh, finished his career out as a receiver and did pretty good. Um, the the big thing that I was excited about with Brandon Powell, and I see also with Wilson when it comes to catching the ball, it's body control. It's one thing to have hands to be able to catch the ball. It's another thing when you are uh, making a play on the ball to be able to control your body and contort your center of gravity in a way that you're going to get the ball and no one else is. And I think Wilson does an incredible job with that, and I'm excited to see his – senior tape and I expect him to rise even further. I mean, he's already a top 150 guy. Um, some services have him in a top 50. 
So some services consider him to be a borderline five-star. That's the kind of talent that we're seeing with Wilson. And it's crazy to think that he's considered to have that kind of talent and he doesn't even have the prototypical size. Well, I mean, it's amazing. Far, far be it for me to be more optimistic about a kid than you, but I mean, no, no disrespect to Brandon Powell. He, he was a perfectly fine player for Florida, but I, I'm much higher on Wilson than Brandon Powell. Um, I mean, let, let's start with the pure speed. He's a blazer in both the 40 and 100-yard dash, and he's got a lot of little jab steps with his feet that can I, – I, again, this goes back to the whole thing where I hate to compare him – I hate to compare recruits to past or current Gators, but somewhat reminiscent of a Kadarius Tony in that he can jab step forward and then no way. cut back. Kadarius no, Tony, you went there. I did. Wow. I did. And I'm just talking wow. jab step. I'm not talking overall elusiveness. I'm just talking about his jab step in particular, that he can take his jab step forward, take it back, and create a lot of open space for himself. Uh, I mean, Tony's got the whole repertoire. He's got the spin, the lateral juke. Um, and, and look, Wilson's elusive in his own right. Like, Wilson's got nice juke moves. He's got a nice spin move. Uh, he's a little small, but he can outrun pretty much everybody. And the root running that he brings is pretty impressive. Like that's the thing that I look at and say, yeah, this kid can find a spot on Florida. If he just improves it a little bit, he makes that jump from col- or from high school to college. He can find himself in the starting lineup as a true freshman. So I, I like the ability that he shows to, to go up and get balls in traffic when he absolutely has to. Uh, he is a defensive back too, which is, you know, also good to know in, in an emergency, he could play DB, but he's got those ball skills that are good. He's not that big. He's, I think he's 5'11", 165. He's also not quite done growing yet. So, you know, we'll see what he winds up being um, physically, but I like the elusiveness that he brings. I like the idea of getting him the ball in space, maybe getting him the ball on some jet sweeps or, or some screens uh, and, and we'll we'll just see what happens. But he he seems like he's got too much to offer to keep him on the bench for too long at Florida. So um, again, we'll see. He's got to fill out that frame a bit more. But I definitely like the upside there. So those are the four kids that Florida got in the past week. Um, you know, Dustin, let's let let's go bold here and let's put a bow on this pod with a way too early mock 2023 recruiting class so dustin i mean this is your idea i i thought it was too early to do it but you kind of talked me into this for this pod so uh because it's your idea we'll let you go first who does florida close out the 2023 recruiting class with and what does it all look like when it's all said and done neil it's uh it's mock class season and uh, I know that you would probably say that it's a little too early to do that, but you know me, it's, I, I never think it's too early to do a mock class. And here we are. So um, I'm just going to start from the top. Um, actually, no, I'll start from the bottom. Uh, bottom, what, what, what I mean by that. So I'm looking, the 247 Sports website has something really interesting. It's called the Class Calculator. So if you're into recruiting and you haven't seen this class calculator before, 
you probably don't know what you're missing. Um, basically, what you do is you type in the name of the player that you think Florida or you think any school would get. And what it does is it you click enter and it takes that that player and it, and it adds it to the class hypothetically and it shows you how the overall score for that class uh, could change one way or the other. So looking at the class, you got uh, I, I think Florida has a decent shot with Andy Jean. So I'm gonna wide receiver. 6'1", 180 pounds. I'm going to put Andy Jean into the mock class. I'm also going to add corner Jakeem Jackson, um, tackle Peyton Kirkland. Um, I do think that we have a long shot to get Kirkland, but assuming we don't end up with some of the higher-ranked recruits, I believe he's going to be kind of that that uh, full-court press backup option that the, um, the offensive line staff are going to go after um, between now and December. Um, beyond that, uh, Cameron James, defensive lineman, four-star. Um, Jordan Castell, uh, safety is also four-star. Um, Dequavius Sori, guy I'm really excited about, wide receiver. Um, out of the Panhandle, Florida, also four-star. And now we get into some of the high-end four-stars. I think we have a decent shot at Raul Aguirre, um, who's, a, who's a linebacker. Uh, Will Norman, I, I'm going to put him in the class. I'd probably give him a six or seven in terms of confidence out of ten. But I'm excited about Will Norman, um, kid out of IMG. And then a guy that you and I are both incredibly excited about off off air. We've talked about this this uh, recruit at nauseum. That is Aiden Mizell. Um, you want to talk about speed? He's got it. I mean, he's he's elite track type speed that you're looking at right there. I think we have an incredible shot with him. And of all the of all the the recruits that I, that I've already mentioned, I think he's going to be the next one to commit um there may be a few other guys there but i'm really excited about mizell committing in the next hopefully a few days if not next week or so um and then to round it out with with the top three most elite players these are your can't miss guys um i'm gonna i'm gonna go on the limb and i'm gonna put Derek leblanc in there defensive lineman uh top 100 guy um he's He's been the target. I know there's been a lot of buzz for him to go to Oklahoma, but he's, he lives in Florida. He goes, goes to, I believe he goes to Osceola High School. So he's a guy that I think is going to stay home and end up going to Florida. Um, another guy that I've heard a little bit of buzz as of recent, Malik Bryant. I know that there's been some buzz to Alabama, um, but I do think that he's going to be – I, I do think he's a much, a much more immediate take for Florida. Um, and I do, I do think when it's all said and done that the elite linebacker Malik Bryant, I do believe he's going to end up in our class. And the one and final player, um, the player that's been uh, tabbed to be a Florida Gator um, since early this year is Cormani McLean. Okay. The number one corner in the country, according to the 247 Sports, he's the number three overall player in the country. The number one defensive player in the country 
He's the guy that Florida cannot miss on. And I think when it's all said and done, though he's being pursued by nearly every school in the nation, I think he's going to be a Gator. And I know, I know you don't really get into um, rankings, but this class would have 24 commits, 24 signees if it ended up becoming the class, I should say. And that would give it a score of around 282 on the 247 Sports Composite. Um, and that would put it around 5, 6, or 7, which I, I think is pretty darn good considering the elite company that is recruiting right now. So, Neil, that's my, that's my mock class. Um, how about yours? I'm just sitting here watching uh, with, with a bit of amusement at, um, at, 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 little, at the gears turning in, in your mathematic-friendly head as, as you, you calculate all those hundreds and tens of points to get Florida's final recruiting score on 247. Um, I mean, look, it, it obviously is, is a good indication if a kid is a five-star or four-star or three-star. I mean, the odds of them becoming serviceable players is, are definitely different based on those star rankings. But I, I just I just can't be bothered to get into all that. So that, that's why I leave that to you. But um, all right, so I'll, I'll do it a little bit differently. I'll go down the list of guys that I think Florida has highly on their boards, and I'll give them a or, or I, I will I will notate the ones that I think Florida will wind up getting with a degree of confidence from one to ten. One being coin flip but like 51 percent florida and 10 being i think i think he's a lock so first one on the board's got to be cormani mclean out of lakeland gotta protect lakeland that's that's one of those elites we were talking about earlier and florida's already got a good defensive back class already with sharif denson back there but to get him and mclean in the same class would be massive in terms of carrying on that that dbu torch so uh, I'll say he's a Gator with a, with a confidence degree of about seven, seven and a half. Um, I, I think the only way he's not is if the results on the field are, are really, really bad. And he gets the idea that Florida is farther away from competing for titles than he probably thinks they are right now. So I'll say seven to seven and a half. I'll say 7.25. I'll compromise there. I'll say seven and a quarter out of 10 is, is my degree of confidence. Guy I'm actually really high on in terms of Florida's chances to get him on campus is uh, Jonel Aguero from Massachusetts. I don't think Florida will land him, but I think he's someone that's definitely on their board that they can definitely, you know, get to campus a couple of times, maybe experience that LSU game. And maybe that, that sways him a bit, but ultimately not super confident in getting him. So I won't include him. Um, Going down the list a little bit, I'm just not that high on Malik Bryant as, in terms of his chances to come to Florida. I, I just don't think he's going to be a Gator. Um, I mean, he's getting a lot of attention from Florida, um, also getting a lot of attention from Miami and Alabama. So I think he winds up at one of those two schools. Derek LeBlanc, same thing. He's getting attention from Florida, um, but I, I don't see it. I think he's going to Oklahoma, so I won't include him. Aiden Mizell, I definitely think – is going to be a Gator. Um, I will give him about a nine in terms of the confidence ranking. Um, and if Florida needs receivers, they do have one 
and you have a very good one in uh, Eugene Wilson the third. There's another guy on the board that I'll talk about momentarily that I think they could get, but um, Mizell would definitely be a huge boost because of the speed he brings. He's also 6'2", so he's got some height there. Could be an instant drag-and-drop sort of plug-and-play type of piece for Florida's offense. Florida needs him, and they'll let him know that. They already are letting him know that, so I think he will he will buy that pitch, and he will come to Florida. So 9 out of 10 for him. Offensive linemen, see, this is where I get pessimistic. Uh, Florida's got no shot at Lucas Simmons, who's going to commit tomorrow, probably hours after this podcast drops. Florida's got virtually no shot at him. Um, I, I, I mean, really, for Florida to get him, communications would have to really break down between him and USC and with Tennessee and with FSU. I think Florida is fourth right now on his list. So I'm just not seeing it um, with Lucas Simmons. So they'll miss on him. They'll miss on Peyton Kirkland. If they're going to get a big-time offensive lineman, I think it would be Monroe Freeling out of um, Charleston, South Carolina, actually not that far from where my work's office is. I don't think he's coming to Florida either, but I'll say that if they're going to get one of the three, he would be the most likely to commit. So I think Florida will have to wind up going to its backup plans and, and going with, uh, with someone that they haven't shown a ton of attention to at this point. I don't know that 247 really has anyone else listed in that in that top top um, top targets list uh, for offensive linemen for Florida. So I'll say that Florida is going to need to go with a backup plan there. I think getting a little more positive, I think Florida will get Jordan Hall out of Jacksonville. I think that's probably a six, six and a half on the confidence scale. Uh, I mean, things could fall apart with him. Florida does have a lot of defensive linemen already committed that could deter him. He could think, well, that's a lot of defensive linemen. How much do they really want me if they've already got commits from all these different guys? But I think he will be um, a Gator when it's all said and done. Kelby Collins and John Walker are the other two defensive linemen that I think Florida is heavily going after right now. 247's got them both listed as quote-unquote high choices. So I think Florida will get both Collins and Walker in an unusually deep defensive line class. So that I think that's going to rule out um, getting a defensive line heavy class in the next year or two. But, I mean, Florida needs defensive linemen, and they need them now. So I think loading up at that position makes a lot of sense in this class. So with the, the four they've already got, and I'm projecting them to get Hall – I'm also projecting them to get Collins and Walker. That's seven guys in the defensive line. I think that checks that box with authority. So Florida will definitely get the fill the need of defensive line um, check mark. The question will be the offensive line. So Will Norman with a one out of 10, I'll say. He'll be a Gator, meaning just slightly above a coin flip because that would mean eight defensive linemen in one class some of them are going to have to redshirt because there's not there's not eight defensive line positions out there. There's not six defensive line positions out there. So I think Florida will sell them on the, you know, we need a completely new defensive line uh, recruiting pitch. And I think they'll, they'll, I think they will get seven. They might get eight with him. And I do think Florida will then go light on defensive line in the next class or two because of the depth that they're going to build with this class. 
Raul Aguirre, our Aguirre, I think it is, or Aguirre. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but um, I don't think he's going to come. I think he's got his eyes elsewhere, either Ohio State or Alabama. Um, Dequavius Sori at wide receiver, I think, is a very, very strong likelihood to come to Florida. Again, Florida already has a commitment from Eugene Wilson. They already have Tyree Patterson there. I think with him and Mizell, Florida would have locked down a very good, if not great, wide receiver class. Um, going down the list, Jordan Castell in the secondary, I think, is – is likely, I'll say, with a 7 and a 10 on the confidence scale. Um, Peyton Kirkland isn't coming, so I'll just skip past him. So Andy Jean, I'll say um, maybe a 3 or a 4 to come to Florida. I, I think he likes Florida. He's from Miami Northwestern. I think he also likes Miami, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, that would give Florida – 21 commits. I said McLean, Hall, Mizell, Kelby Collins, John Walker. Very low confidence. I said Will Norman, Dequavius Sori, Jordan Castell, and Andy Jean. That puts Florida at 21 commits. I think that Florida will have to get more offensive linemen, um, guys that maybe aren't on their board right now. Maybe they flip someone. Um, and they just show that that's a possibility by going and getting Stokes from Penn State. So maybe they go and do that for two or three offensive linemen. Uh, Cause I, I do think that Florida will strike out on the O linemen that they're currently after in Freeling Kirkland and Lucas Simmons. Um, but we'll see, you know, this is all way too early. Uh, oh, you said Jakeem Jackson was the other one you said. Um, eh, I don't think he comes to Florida, but I wouldn't be shocked if he does. I mean, cause Florida, because I think that they're going to get Cormani McLean on top of Sharif Denson. That's already two top-end cornerbacks in this class. Maybe he comes. Maybe he can be sold on, you know, iron sharpens iron. Maybe we'll, you know, put you in a nickel or something like that. But I, I don't see him unseating uh, someone like McLean or Denson um, at the CB1 or CB2 slots. So I think he'll have a better chance to play elsewhere. I think he'll see that. So, that's where I stand. That's, that's 21 commits. I think they will have to go elsewhere to get offensive linemen that are not currently on their board, according to 247. And, I mean, Dustin, you're the one that, that cares about where that ranks. I mean, I had to guess. I'd say that's probably between 6 and 10 if they get all those guys and they land a couple more you know, serviceable offensive linemen. But, you know, I, I think overall it, it will be a, a very good class. I think it is shaping up to be – a strong bump class in the first full class after the guy takes over, as opposed to the transition class, which he had a couple of weeks to assemble. Um, I think it'll be a strong bump class. I think it, it definitely bodes well for the future, but at this point in time, the offensive line position, I would say definitely concerns me a bit. Again, that could change. This is a mock class in the middle of July on-field results one way or another could sway kids. I mean, the offensive line for Florida could be horrible next year even. And Billy Napier could go into the living rooms and go, see, see, look at that. We need you. Come to Florida and there's instant playing time awaiting you. So that could happen too. Um, but just at this point in time, I think Florida's going to really need to pick it up on the offensive line. I think they're in good position everywhere else. And all things considered, the offensive line is – 
is pretty important. But all things considered, I think it's definitely a great foundation to build off of with future recruiting classes. So Dustin, um, that's that's my take. Um, I, I you know as, as everyone knows by now, undoubtedly, I'm not the biggest fan of of you know, you know the the precise ratings and rankings as you know if someone's the sixth rated offensive tackle versus the seventh, it just doesn't it just doesn't matter to me. And, and you know where those those tenths of points add up to give one school a, a class that's. I think that there's a final number of like 287.32 versus 287.21. It's just irrelevant. But I know that you and I do agree on the fact that if Florida lands all the kids that we both said the Gators would land, that would make for quite an impressive class. So we'll revisit this as the rest of the class continues to play itself out. But give me your final way too early thoughts on this Gators 2023 recruiting class. Well, Neil, that's sort of an open-ended question. I think there's a lot of things that we already talked about. Obviously, uh, Florida is continuing to pursue defensive linemen. Florida is continuing to pursue the, um, you know, he's aptly named money, uh, Cromani McLean. Uh, we're pursuing him. Um, hopefully, he comes and legally gets quite the NIL deal. Um, as he'll quite deserve as a Gator. Um, that's what is happening. What should happen and is unfortunately something that we haven't seen thus far. I still feel like we continue to be weak in recruiting offensive line. Um, and of all the positions that we've highlighted and we've talked about, we haven't really gotten that top end elite position on the offensive line. Now we do have the interior offensive lineman in Najee Harris, um, who's pretty good, but we need, we need a five-star or somebody who can, who can with development play at that all SEC caliber. Florida has to have that. There's no questions about it. It doesn't matter how good your running backs are, your receivers are, your defenses. If you don't have a, a near elite or an elite offensive line, it's going to be very difficult to really make a run in the SEC. And I know we talk about it a lot, and we're going to get more into it in future podcasts as we begin to speak about what the – 2022 season is going to look like and what we expect to happen in that. Um, but I, let me just say this. If Florida, Florida's going to live and they're going to die on the offensive line. I don't care how good Anthony Richardson is. I don't care how good Lorenzo Lingard is. If we are not able to block, then we're not going to be able to win big football games. And it, it goes beyond that. If Napier is going to be the coach that we believe him to be, it is going to be won and lost on the offensive line. Now, it is clear to me, and this is a positive thing to, to end the show on, is Napier believes the same exact thing. So much so that he's dedicated two of his 10 allowed assistant coaching positions. He's allotted two to the offensive line. Most schools don't have that. Most schools have one offensive line coach and then maybe a graduate assistant or an analyst. The 
that comes alongside during the back end stuff. Florida has two full-time offensive line coaches, not only full-time coaches to coach on the field, but coaches that can be on the recruiting trail and recruiting and getting the best in the nation. One that you're very familiar with, with, with your giants, uh, Rob Sale, who is not only considered to be uh, the OC in, in, in a type of way, we all know that Billy Napier is calling the offense, but we know him to be um, an elite coach in terms of coaching the offensive line. What he did at Louisiana was unprecedented. And then obviously going to the NFL, understanding that game. A lot of these kids, yeah, college is a big deal, but it's all about how can they get the most money and be developed for the NFL. I would think that, a, that an NFL offensive line coach would know exactly what it takes to be successful at the next level. So with that said, I know it's more, probably my, lo- my most long-winded answer of the pod, but I, we have to attack offensive line head-on. And I think we'll see some surprises in terms of that. I put Kirkland as kind of my placeholder, but who knows? We could flip a, a five-star offensive line uh, prospect from another team. We, we could, we could uh, somehow get Freeling. I think that would be great. We could. Um, I, I just don't think it's likely. I, I think Florida is going to have to go elsewhere. And, look, the, the results on the field may change us, which is why I've leaned into the words way too early when calling this the way too early mock class. Like I I'm fairly certain. Uh, no, I, I'm very certain that FSU is going to get Lucas Simmons within hours of this podcast dropping. I'm also going to go on the record and say that I think Florida will have a better overall season than FSU does. And maybe that changes his mind a little bit. And speaking of FSU, God, how, how in the world does FSU go from from Desmond Ricks leaning FSU towards the end of March, early April, talking publicly about how much he loved the campus and the coaches and all that good stuff. Even got a crystal ball from two four seven to FSU, uh, which you know take those with a grain of salt. But just another puff of smoke for him to FSU, and then he drops his list of semifinalists, and FSU is not even in his top ten, which is hilarious this this is the top db on fsu's board or was anyway and then the quote drops from on three sports that fsu had stopped recruiting him i mean i look i I don't have inside info here and the more i think about it the more i'm certain that there's more to it than meets the eye here but just the optics of this if nothing else where the kid goes on the record and he says, quote, I haven't heard from them in months. They must have gave up or something. That's from Hayes Fawcett of On3 Sports. I mean, for their sake, I really hope something more is going on than that meets the eye because the alternative to there being more to the story than that is absolutely unprecedented levels of incompetence coming from their coaching staff. Which wouldn't be the first time, really, because they lost a kid to Jackson State last last cycle. So, you know, for all for all the all the love I have for Jackson State, for all they did for my guy James Houston, that's something that's just absolutely inexcusable to lose a guy who's committed to you for two years. Um, 
And now to have this happen with Desmond Ricks, so, something smells over in Tallahassee. So they're probably going to get Lucas Simmons, but man, that, that is, that is a program that is down bad. So that's all we've got for this pod. Um, if y'all liked it, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review and subscribe to us on iTunes. We would really appreciate that. Um, y'all we're just about 50 days out from kickoff. Y'all, just stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see y'all in the swamp. Yeah, Dustin, you'll be there for Utah. Um, I know you'll be there for more than that, but see you there in about 54 days. So take us home now with the two words that have become your signature, buddy. Go ahead. Go Gators! Yes, sir. Yep. That's how we do it. Go Gators. Right, right over the left.